So I was reading this last week, and I read about a guy that was called the Elephant Man. Y'all ever heard of the Elephant Man? Real guy. There's been movies about him. Really sad situation. So um, they're not even sure exactly what his condition was, but he just his his head grew grotesquely so badly that that when he finally so he couldn't speak because his head was huge. His right arm was much bigger than it should have been. He actually signed himself up for a circus so he could be the the elephant man, and people would pay to come see him. And and he just thought, you know, that's better than than um, nothing. I can make some money off of that. And and so then he his life kind of he got distraught and he. He actually ran away from people for a while, and he could not speak. People couldn't understand him. And so one time when at the circus, a doctor happened to come in and see him there, and he gave him his card. And so when he was found, months later, he was at a train station. He's huddling in the corner. Nobody understands a word that he's saying. He hands him the card. They call this doctor. Doctor comes and gets him, takes him to the hospital. He spent the last four years of his life in a hospital. And this doctor really started working with him, started sneaking him into the opera, started taking him places. And this guy was just such a pleasant human being. He actually said one time, he said, uh, I know nothing but joy in my life. And the doctor's thinking, how can this, how can this young man who's probably going to die very soon, how can he have nothing but joy? And so one time the a nurse went in. They forgot to tell the nurse at the hospital that this guy was the, the elephant man. She walks in, sees him. He's so grotesque. She screams, drops the tray. It falls on the floor. She runs out. So the doctor thought, the doctor was finally figuring this guy out, and he thought, I need to really get to know this guy. I need to, I need to hang out with him. So he said, he told the next nurse, he said, I want to try an experiment. He said, I want you to walk in. I want you to smile at Joseph. I want you to shake his hand and, and say, how are you today? When she left, the doctor came in and, and Joseph said, she's the first woman to ever speak to me, smile at me, and shake my hand. He'd been rejected his whole life, yet he said, he said, I know nothing but joy. He'd be out in the sunshine, he'd wear a hoodie so that people wouldn't shriek when they would see him, but he would pull his hoodie off when it's just him and the doctor, and he would just enjoy God's creation and know nothing but joy in his life. He'd been rejected his whole life. He died at 28 years old. To be rejected is to be cast aside, cast off, cast away, to be thrown away as having no value. Do you think Joseph Merrick, the elephant man, felt cast away? When he's huddling in that train station and nobody's even wanting to approach him except the police? Has anyone in this room ever been cast away, rejected? Felt like you had no value in someone else's eyes? Now, rejection shows up in a lot of ways, and I think you're going to understand one side of the family tree, right? So rejection has cousins like this, insecurity, um, low self-image, low self-worth, inferiority, and even self-hate. Would you agree that those things are cousins of rejection? They come from being rejected. I think the other side of the family tree, though, is going to be kind of surprising to you because these cousins have names like driven to succeed, perfectionism, winning at all costs, being an overachiever. See, these things come from rejection as well. They're just covered up in different ways. And if you find out that, that you have to, people have to applaud you and the only way they'll applaud you is if you're an overachiever, you become an overachiever because you've been rejected. You and I were born into this fallen world, right? 
and, and it's full of rejection, and, and we've, brought, we've bought the lie that people are only valuable if someone else says they're valuable or if they can achieve something. We've bought that lie, and it comes straight, straight from the pit of hell. You see, because Adam and Eve lived in a perfect world in the Garden of Eden. They walked with God in the cool of the evening every day. He had given them this full garden. He said, you may eat of any tree in the garden except this one tree. They enjoyed this unbelievable fellowship with God until one day the serpent comes up. And the serpent says, you're not good enough. You need something else. See, God doesn't really love you. God's not looking out for your best interest. God's withholding something from you because he knows if you eat of that fruit, you'll have what you need to be truly happy. And at that moment, Adam and Eve should have said, oh, you poor serpent. Stand your confusion because you were not made in the image of God like we were. We bear the likeness of the living God who created everything. And you can't understand that because you're just a mere creature. The plants don't have it. The animals don't have it. The atmosphere, the world, nothing has the image of God but us. So thank you, but no, serpent. We don't need anything you have to offer because God has given us more than enough. But that's not what they said, did they? They gave in to the lie. They listened to the serpent. They disobeyed God and sin entered the world. And you and I have felt the effects of this ever since. And that day a seed was planted called rejection. And the enemy tells you you're not good enough unless you have the right person on your arm, unless you go to the right school, unless you have, drive the right vehicle, unless you have the right things. We believe that, that there's something missing, and we believe that God is withholding things from us. And that's not a good thing. There's something else we need. <laughs> and back when I was a kid and, and you felt rejected, where did you tell people this? In your family? And they're like, dude, that's nothing. My brother's great at this. <laughs> that's the only time you've been rejected. And they start telling me stories about how many times they've been rejected. I'm like, well, yeah, yay for you. You win that contest. Doesn't help me. Now where do we put it if we're rejected? Social media. Is social media a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> it is actually neutral, but it's used for bad. Very often, right? Because comparison is rampant in our world, and it's a trap. Satan wants you to believe you're not good enough, and so Satan wants you to take 800 pictures to get the one where the lighting is just right, and your duck lips are just right. And I'm not kidding this. I've said this to Janie. I said, there are people on here. It's the same picture. I feel like Mugatu in, in Zoolander. Derek Storm, it's all the same look. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. That's a quote, by the way. I'm like, how many times do you have to post the same picture? We get it. See, Satan wants us in only if mode. Only if you get enough likes. We need to ask where and when do we get the likes because many people, it's on social media. And if they don't get enough, they... They blame God or they blame somebody. Only if my hair's just right. Only if this person likes it. Only if somebody notices. You can have 800 likes, but if the one person you really like doesn't like or love it. I had a family member one time scold another family member because they only liked the picture. They didn't love it. 
And my family's going, are you kidding me? Why does Satan want us in only if mode? It's because if we live for people's approval, we'll die by their rejection. And that's what he wants. But it's not what your heavenly father wants. Notice what God wants for you. <laughs> psalm 94, 14. This is a psalm of David. For the Lord will not, he will not what? Reject his people. Now, the Bible doesn't say you're not going to be rejected. It doesn't say that non-Christians aren't going to reject you. The Bible doesn't even say that Christians aren't going to reject you. What the Bible says is God, your father, will never reject you. He will never forsake his inheritance. And you need to understand, this is a huge part of the story. When David comes to face Goliath, he's been in the full acceptance of his heavenly father. He's been constantly worshiping out when he's watching sheep. He's worshiping the father. So when he shows up at the battle line, he's fully ready to represent God. When he comes to the battlefield, he's not in the army. He's actually running an errand for his father. We'll see this in a couple of weeks. He does this regularly for his father. But he's been continually in the presence of God. Now, his three oldest brothers are in the army, and he was actually coming to see them. He brought them food, and his father, his father said, find out how your brothers are, bring back word to me. While David is checking in with his brothers, he hears Goliath, what he's saying, and he can't believe his ears. And so there's all of this talk going on on the mountain. So on one side, you've got the, remember, you've got the Israelites on one side of the Valley of Allah, and you've got the Philistines on the other. So David's talking to all of these, these uh, Israeli soldiers, and he says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Is there any offensive question, anything in that sentence right there that you'd go, oh, I'm offended that David asked this question. Anything? That's a yes or no question. Are you offended? Let me help. I got all day. Let me ask this question again. I'm gonna, then I'm going to ask you, are you offended? Right? Okay, here it goes. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Are you offended by that question? Some of you want some soup and salad. Some of you are going to be at the back of the line. Okay, this next question. I want to know if there's anything in this question that's offensive. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Is there anything in that question that's offensive to you? Are you offended? Let me tell you why you're not offended. At least three reasons. Number one, you weren't there. Number two, you're not an Israeli soldier cowering in fear when you should be fighting. Number three, he ain't your baby brother. You know if it's your baby brother, you'd take it personally, right? No, I wouldn't. Yes, you would. I've seen it. His oldest brother was offended. His name is Eliab. Verse 28, when Eliab, David's, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking uh, with the man, he did what? What was this word? He did what? Burned. Burned with anger. This is not a minor irritation. This is not a gnat. Ladybug. We got ladybugs. Y'all got ladybugs? Flicking them off the monitor back there all the time when I'm working on the computer. No, this is, this is he burned with anger at him. And he asked, I'm guessing with clenched teeth. Why have you come down here? Right? You know what oldest brothers do. I have two older brothers. Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave? Now, he, he means this as an insult. Those how many sheep? Boy, I'm in the army. You're a shepherd. 
And by the way, who's doing your job? At which point I wish David had said, who's doing yours? But he doesn't. He doesn't. He's respectful. Who'd you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? And then it gets worse. I know how conceited you are. That word just, you know, he said it. He enunciated it. You're conceited, David. And how wicked your heart is. You came only to watch the battle. Now, I think only lastborns can fully appreciate the tongue lashing of the firstborn, right? My oldest brother, one time um, after my parents had died, we were up taking care of, of their house and we were getting the estate ready and, and I got sick as a dog. And, and I don't mean to be gross, but if there was an opening in my body, there was something coming out of it. It was horrible. So bad that my brother almost carried me to the car, took me to the emergency room, and they had to put two bags of fluid in me so I could stand up. I couldn't even stand up. And so I was sick as a dog. And uh, the, by the way, those, those two bags of fluid cost $1,600, $800 a piece for some sugar water to make me stand up. But anyway, I'm, I digress. So I go back home, and, and then we were supposed to drive back. We had driven to Borger. It's 500 miles from here. So we'd driven to Borger. We had to drive back. And the reason we were coming back is because I was going to pray. I had been asked by my niece to pray in her wedding. And so I told my brother, he's like, you don't need to go. You need to stay here. And I said, dude, I'll be fine. I got two bags of really good juice, and so I'm good. Let's drive home. And so he, he tongue like, I'm not kidding you. He ripped me, and he said, you are so conceited. They don't need you at this wedding. Why do you think you need to be at this wedding? And all I could think of, I said, dude, they asked me to be at the wedding. It's an honor for me to pray over them. I said, yes, let's get in the car and go. My nephew sometimes watches these um, sermons, so don't tell him I said that. (laughs) Now, one chapter before this, so about three or four years, but one chapter in, in 1 Samuel 16, David had been anointed the next king. So about three years had passed, and now he's, he's coming to check on his brothers. All of the other brothers were there when he was anointed, but the, evidently they weren't very impressed by that because when David comes, the next king comes to the front lines, they act like he doesn't even have the right to know what's going on in the battle. And I love David. David's such a better guy than me because he says in verse 29, what is with you? I, I, I think he probably said, hey, bro, what's with you, you know? Because he says this, all I did was ask a question. And he turned and he started talking to other people. This is great. When someone rejects you, you don't have to listen to what they have to say. Turn and talk to somebody else, right? You don't have to take it personally. I just ask a question. But evidently, younger brothers should know that you have no right to ask questions in the presence of older brothers, especially when they're not doing their job. Even future kings don't have that right. So how do we get to the point that Eliab is burning with anger? Well, in chapter 16, Samuel is the prophet of God. God says, I want you to go to Bethlehem because I've rejected Saul as king. The same Saul who's cowering on the mountain with all the Israelite army, God had rejected him. Saul rejected God. God rejected Saul. And so he said, I want you to go to Bethlehem. I want you to find a guy named Jesse, and I want you to anoint the son that I show you. So Samuel has no idea how many sons Jesse has. He shows up, and everybody's afraid because when the prophet comes and you're at a time of war, you're like, oh, is this a good thing or a bad thing? And Jesse's like, oh, it's a good thing. Tell, I mean, Samuel says it's a good thing. He tells Jesse, call your sons. Jesse calls seven of his eight sons. Seven. 
And so the oldest, Eliab, he comes before the prophet and he knows. Samuel's already told everybody, I'm here to anoint the next king. Eliab is the biggest, he's the baddest, he's the oldest in that culture. The oldest brother got twice the amount of the inheritance that anybody else did. He was good looking, he was strongest, and and he's so good looking, he looks such like a king that the Bible tells us that Samuel says, surely this is the guy, surely the Lord's anointed is standing before me. And you know what God says to Samuel in that moment? Nope, not the guy. And then God actually tells Samuel, I don't look at people the way you look at people. I look at the heart. So then Eliab stands to the side. Next son, six times, six up, six down. You know what God says every time? Nope, not that guy. If you're one of the seven older brothers and you're standing there, how do you feel? You feel passed over. Because when you first hear that the prophet is here to anoint a king, don't you think, maybe it's me? Could it be me? It should be me. Nope, 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 nope. And so Samuel's confused because he knows God said anoint one of Jesse's sons. So he looks at Jesse and says, this is all you got? And Jesse's like, well, there is the, the youngest. But he's with the sheep. That's the lowest job. We didn't think to call him because surely one of the seven. And Samuel says, we will not. (laughs) We will not feast. We'll not eat a bite of food. We'll not have this party until I meet him. And so they stop everything, have to go out in the field and find David, bring him before Samuel. And when David walks before Samuel, you know what God says? This is the man. Again, if you're the seven older brothers... And baby brother just got anointed king. How do you feel? You feel passed over. And if you're the oldest brother, how do you feel? Really passed over. How does the kid who's not even in the lineup become the next king? How does the kid who's not even in the race win the gold medal? That's like winning a gold medal at the Olympics and you didn't even show up. How does that happen? It's because God saw something that no one else saw. He saw the heart. God knows you can look great on the outside and you can be rotten on the inside. And really, that's the problem with Saul. Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else. Saul was a good-looking guy. He was rotten on the inside. Eliab, we don't know, but, but for whatever reason, his heart wasn't right. He was good-looking. The Bible tells us he was great-looking. But the Lord said, he's not going to be my king. God was making it clear that men or women can be incredible in, uh, uh, physical specimens and have a rotten heart. And the Lord says, no. Shriveled souls are not elevated to places of leadership in the kingdom of God. Because when God measures a man, he puts, or a woman, he puts the measuring tape around the heart, not around the head, not around the biceps or any other body part. God knew that if David could be trusted with sheep, he could be trusted with men. Faithfulness in the pasture would result in faithfulness in the palace. It sounds a whole lot like what Jesus said. If you can be trusted with small things, you can be trusted with big things. If you can't be trusted with small things, you can't be trusted with big things. And if we are faithful to the rung that we're on, on the ladder, you, you stay on that rung until God lets you know when it's time to move up to the next rung. See, at this point, David had already waited three or four years. He'd been anointed king. Now, he's still a shepherd boy. He's still an errand boy for his daddy. 
He would wait a total of 14 years before he was crowned king. But don't ever think that time waiting is is time wasted when you're waiting for God. David learned that what we do while we're waiting is just as important to God as that for which we wait. David served Saul for many years. Then he ran from Saul for many years when Saul tried to kill him. But David learned that those who cannot serve cannot lead. And here's what A.W. Tozer said, the best leaders are those who do not aspire to leadership but are conscripted by God. The person who's pushing and pushing and pushing to try to get their way, to me that's a big fat red flag that says, no, you're not ready to lead because the the heavenly father sees your heart and he's not chosen you yet. So if you push, I have problems with that. David's about to be thrust into leadership by God, and there's going to be two huge nations that see it. Now, his brothers are different stories. Brothers tell us what not to do while we're waiting on God, because when God's soldiers aren't fighting the enemy of God, they fight each other. Have you noticed that? (coughs) Can we all agree that there was a huge enemy, a big stanky enemy that no one could miss named Goliath, nine feet, nine inches tall, screaming out, wasn't he the enemy? Was David the enemy? No, but brother thought he was. Because brother wasn't doing what he should have done. So you have an enemy called rejection. And when you don't fight that enemy, you know who you fight? Everybody around you. Eliab could have, he could have been proud of his baby brother. He could have said, hey, everybody, this is my baby brother. He's going to be the next king. Isn't that cool? I get to be the older brother of the next king. He could have stepped up like Katniss did in Hunger Games and said, no, baby brother, you don't fight him. I got this. Man, you're going to be the king. I'm going to fight him. You go tell dad we're fine. We'll be home in a couple of weeks. I'll take care of this. You're awesome, brother. I love you. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. But that's not what he did, did he? That's not what rejected people do. Rejected people reject people. If you've been rejected and you've not healed from that rejection, you are hurting people around you with rejection. That's right. Shay's agreeing with me. The giant of rejection is controlling you like a puppet, controlling your mouth, controlling your mind, controlling your hands with the things you put on the internet, controlling who you text, who you talk to, the places you go, how you use your money. The, the rejection giant is just, you're a, you're a marionette puppet. Go here, go here. Let's continue to do the things you've always done so that you'll be rejected over and over and over and over again. And and this day, this was David's first rejection of the day. Actually, I I was thinking about this this morning. His father rejected him three or four years earlier when he didn't even call him to the anointing party. But this is on this day, first rejection. Rejection number two comes from King Saul. I think Saul had wide, incredulous eyes when David volunteered to fight Goliath. Something kind of like this. Did I put that picture on there? I think he was Barney. I think, I think Saul's going, this is it? He may have been like Andy Griffith, but I think he was like Barney, going, no, this can't be the only guy. We're going down. You know, that's what Barney Fife was thinking. So look what Saul says to him, the Living Bible translation of, of verse 33. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. How can a kid like you fight a man like him? I love this translation. You're only a boy, and he's been in the army since he was a boy. 
There's no way you can win. This is like Adrian whenever Rocky's going to go face the Russian. She should have known only Rocky can beat the Russian. She says, you can't win. And he says, maybe I can't, but I have to go. You aren't good enough. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You can't do it. Has anybody ever heard those words? This is a remarkable story because somehow David overcomes the rejection of his brother. He overcomes the rejection of his king. And then he goes out to face big, hairy Goliath, and he gets rejected a third time. Goliath takes one good look at him, and look what he says. This is, again, living Bible. Goliath walked toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, and he sneered in contempt. Can't you see big, hairy, stanky guy sneering? And he, he sneers at this nice little red-cheeked boy. When Waylon is hot, his cheeks are bright red. He's blonde-haired, you know, fair skin, and he's got these bright... I mean, it looks like you put on blush on his cheeks. I think that's what's going on here. David's running out to the, the battle line. He's got nice red cheeks. He's a cute boy. The, the English Standard Version says he's ruddy and handsome, and, and because he looked good and he was young, Goliath hated him. And so here's what Goliath says in verses 43 and 44. Am I a dog? He roared because that's what giants do. They roar. Am I a dog? So, so David has a staff and he's got his sling. So he's got a couple of sticks. And, and Goliath's like, you cute punk. Am I a dog? You're going to come beat me with your stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. I got to stop right here. Because if you're David and you've been in the presence of a holy God and you know who the Philistines' gods are, he just cursed you by his God. His God is called Dagon. Dagon has a fish body and a man's head and hands. If I'm David, I go, your, your God's a merman? A merman. I got a lot of Zoolander in this one today. It's a merman. How are you going to be afraid of a guy who carries a doll, a merman doll around? I curse you by my merman God. And so he says, come over here. And I put in cutie pie. Come over here, cutie pie. And I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Goliath yelled. He's roaring and he's yelling. But he serves a merman. So David is rejected by his brother who burned with anger. He was rejected by Saul who's too, who says you're too small. And David's like, of course I'm too small. I'm a boy, but I'm going to go do this thing. Because my God's bigger. Then Goliath makes fun of him because he's too cute. And David's going, what's going on? I'm in bizarro world. You need to know that your enemy wants to destroy you. He will use anyone and anything to bring you down. He doesn't want you to know who you are in Christ. And so you, no amount of money, looks, success can insulate you from the possibility of rejection. And the fear of rejection will lead you to do some pretty dark things and go to some pretty dark places just so someone will say, I accept you. And see, that's one of the most powerful things on the planet is acceptance. And we do things. Waylon uh, was talking to me one day. I picked him up from school, and he was telling me about a girl who was mean to him on the, on the playground, and she said some really, some really mean things to a five-year-old. And I said, that's not true. I said, that girl needs a whooping. See, I think, I think most of the problems in our world are due, due to L-O-B-W, lack of butt whooping. I think that's Putin's problem, but uh, that's another story for another day. I said, Waylon, you're, you're special. You're Pop Pop's 
buddy, right? Right. I said, what that girl says isn't true. Don't you believe her for a second. The only thing that's going to free you from the giant of rejection is to recognize and receive the full acceptance of Jesus Christ. So how does that happen? Well, let's talk about this. You've got you to believe the truth from God's word, four truths from God's word. Number one, God made me. God made you. The giant of rejection doesn't want you to realize that. He doesn't want you to realize where you came from. David describes it this way. This is another Psalm of David, Psalm 139. And he says, for you created me in my inmost being. He's talking to God. He says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I want you to say that. Okay, we're going to say it a couple of times. If you're online, you don't have to type this one. I'll have you type something else in a minute. I want you to say, I praise you. We're going to, we're going to look up. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You ready? I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I want you to say it again, and I want you to mean it. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If you go on in this passage, it says David's talking to God, and this was long before we had any sonograms or anything like this, and he says, God, you saw my unformed substance. So we know from sonograms, that we know from 4D now that you can see the baby, you can, you can see it suck its thumb. It is a baby in there. But before anything is formed, the Bible says, David's praising God, and he says, you saw my unformed substance. When I was an embryo and I had no shape, you saw me. I believe life starts at conception. I believe God knew exactly when you were conceived. I believe God planned when you were conceived. I believe God has a plan for your life, and I desperately want you to find that plan because if you don't find it, you're going to be unfulfilled, sad. You're going you're gonna to let rejection take you places you should never go. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's my friend Shay. She is fearfully and wonderfully made. And we love it when she's here. She loves singing. She gets tired of listening to Pastor Doug. <laughs> and I know some of you do too, but. Did you just say that's right, John Coatlander? <laughs> I think you did. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That's a, that's a whole mouthful of giant slaying truth. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make rejects. So online and in here, I want you to say this. You can type this online. I love it when I see comments. So I just, you know, I want you to type comments. God made me. I want you to say that. If you're online, I want you to type that. I want you to say it again. God made me. Some of you are going to need to say that over and over and over again this week. Because the giant of rejection is going to scream at you that you're not valuable. You go, oh, no, 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 serpent. You don't understand because you weren't created in the image of God, but I am. God made me for a purpose. Number two, God chose me. So I'm wearing my, my chosen T-shirt. I got some merch supporting the chosen. If you haven't seen this, this uh series, you need to watch it. It's incredible. We're having a great time in the men's Bible study. We're in season two. Um, I'm going to tell you, if you watch it, I'm going to encourage you to get the Bible study book as well because you're going to get all kinds of, of background. It is fantastic. George watched just a little bit. We were talking about it this morning. He said he got emotional just watching the woman at the well and only saw like three or four minutes clipped. It is incredible. You need to watch it. And I love to watch how God chose this group of individuals that are pretty jacked up. Kind of reminds me of New Life Community Church, right? 
And, and then he chooses them and he has a purpose for them and, and it's just incredible. Well, look what, what Paul said to the Ephesians, the Ephesian church in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And, and what's that word I have highlighted? And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Only through Christ. He chose us through Christ. God decided in advance to do something. What did he decide in advance to do? Adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. I love that adopted people, um, their families celebrate a gotcha day. They celebrate their birthday, but they also celebrate the day that we got you. You're ours. When I was six years old, I was adopted into the family of God. And that means that my father's the king. So no offense. Your opinion of me doesn't matter if my daddy's the king. Doesn't mean that I'm not held accountable for stupid stuff. I'm good at stupid stuff. I've practiced it for 57 years. But my daddy's the king. He adopted us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure to adopt us, to choose us through Christ. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Before you ever felt the sting of rejection, God says, I go on record, I choose him. I choose her. Before people decided if you were good enough, your heavenly father says, you are more than good enough for me. So I'm going to send my son and if you'll accept what, he's did, what he did for you on your behalf, I'll adopt you as my son or daughter. And this is awesome. This is another David psalm, and I actually put the, the wrong reference here, so you'll see it online, but it's wrong. You'll see it up here. I think I changed it up here. Psalm 2710. It shouldn't be 19. It's 2710. David said, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. So the message you need to understand from God's word is God chose you. I want you to say, God chose me. I want you to type that if you're watching online. Say it again. God chose me. Now, here's number three. Truth from God's word. I am worth Jesus to God. You know how you determine something's value? You look at what someone's willing to pay for it. Y'all ever been on, on Facebook Marketplace? People way overvalue their junk. I mean, it's comical to me. There's stuff I look at, you know, I want to have a tractor, um, and, and I'm just not willing to pay high price for a tractor. So I go look at a tractor, and it'll be like, there was a 1920 tractor. I'm not making this up. John Deere, 1920. We are talking 102 years old. It was like $15,000. It had 999,000 hours. I'm making that up. But they said $15,000, and I just went, next. Just kept on scrolling. I'm like, home cheese, nobody's going to pay that. Somebody might pay it, but it ain't going to be this dude. Our, our net worth is what God was willing to pay for us. And look what he says in Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. What did, what did your freedom cost? The blood of his son. And he forgave our sins. He has showered us his kindness on us and, and along with all wisdom and understanding. Our value to God is equal to the blood of his son. So either say or type, I am worth Jesus to God. God. Number four, we live from God's acceptance, not for it. I mentioned this already. Since God accepts me as his son, ultimately it doesn't matter what you think. Now, I, I, I love you guys and I do want, you know, to hang out with y'all. And 
but if I'm, if I'm only doing what I'm doing for your acceptance, I'm missing it because you're going to die. I don't know if you know that or not. Unless Jesus comes, you're temporary, right? So I need to place my value in something that's eternal. And look what he says in Romans 8, 33. Okay, so I got to tell you about this verse. So you see the, the highlighted, I want you to say this. So in this one, no one and no one, that's actually in the verse. When we get to the next slide, you're going to see brackets. Anytime you see brackets that I have in the, in the verses, I put that in there because this is the implied answer. And I want you to answer this with gusto because the kingdom of hell is paying attention to what we do here. The kingdom of heaven is paying attention. We want the kingdom of hell to know we understand this. And so I want you to say Say it with gusto. You got that? All right. So anything that's highlighted in yellow in this next two slides, I want you to say with gusto. All right. Here we go. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? For God himself has given us a right, right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anyone, anything ever separate us from God's love? Does anyone, does, oh, I can't even, I'm getting too excited. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Next one, if God is for us, who can be against us? No do you believe that? If you do, it'll change the way you live this week. You see, worship of God shuts the mouths of giants. We said last week that worship and fear can't occupy the same place. Worship and rejection cannot occupy the same place. So this is very, very important. Because when you feel rejected, if you're not careful, if you don't heal from your rejection, if you don't go to the right place to be accepted, you're going to get in this cycle. And you're going to go from, it'll be a pattern that eventually becomes a way of life. And unless the word of God breaks that cycle, the rejection will continue to breed rejection. You will reject others, they will reject others, and it will go on. Here's what it looks like. Brian Swallow, my hero, did this for me. Anytime you see these special slides, Brian does this. I, I contact him and say, hey, would you do that? So here's what this says. Up here in the corner, it says negative behavior, um, rejection. All right, so we're rejected. We move over to rejection brings on feelings of worthlessness. If we don't heal, we move down here to worthlessness. Feeling worthless brings on self-hate. We have people today, probably in this room, probably watching, who have injured themselves either by cutting or even something else. And I'm, not, I'm saying they have felt rejected. And we have to move into the acceptance of our Heavenly Father. It's the only way we're healed from those things. The giant says, hurt yourself. Your Heavenly Father says, let me heal you. This is why this is important. Feeling worthless brings on self-hate. Self-hate incites negative behavior to alleviate the pain. And then I repeat the cycle over and over and over again. Who here wants to be on the rejection cycle? Who's saying, I can't wait to hurt myself. The only way to get off is to trust your heavenly father. So to stop feeling like a reject, here's the first thing. Don't assume that one person's opinion reflects everyone's opinion. Are you with me? I don't care who that person is, boyfriend, husband, wife, aunt, uncle, mom, or dad. Don't let one person's opinion. Don't think that it reflects everyone. Second, don't let one person's negative attitude toward you define you. I'm who God says I am. 
You're who God says you are. Number three, you need to realize Jesus calls you friend. And if he calls you friend, you can trust that he is never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. That's, that's from his mouth. Number four, nurture several true friendships. Don't, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And I want you to focus on what God says is a true friend. Because God says a friend loves at all times. All times. They may say some difficult things to you, but they'll say it in a way that is loving. Just because one person withholds love from you doesn't mean that everyone will withhold love from you. Psalm 66, 20 says, Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Since gaining everyone's approval is impossible, let's focus on gaining our Heavenly Father's approval, and you can do that. And you need to know that that Jesus said that, that when we share in his sufferings, that's actually an honor. And Jesus is rejected every day by those who, who refuse to turn to him for salvation. So if you've been rejected, you're, you're like your heavenly father who's been rejected. Run to him with your feelings of rejected, of rejection. And when we find ourselves in difficult situations, don't, don't try to get out of the situation until God has told you something. We fail to get things out of the situation. So you need to ask God, what do you want to teach me now? We wonder why we find ourselves in the same situations because we've been doing the same thing over and over again. We're on the rejection cycle. We reject others. We push them away. We're like a porcupine. Hey, hug me. Well, it hurts to hug you. There's nothing wrong with praying and asking God to change your circumstances, but his number one objective is to, is to change you. And so you say, God, this hurts, this sucks, but I'm trusting you. If you're constantly feeling rejection, then please stop doing what you've always done. Because if you do what you've always done, you're going to get the same results you've always gotten. It's time to let your heavenly father wash his love over you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that your word is full of assurance of your love for us. Thank you that you chose us before the foundation of the world through Christ. And I thank you that your word says that I'm chosen, not forsaken. Thank you that your word says I'm your child. Help us to live in that reality today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The giant of rejections got to fall, would you agree? Starts today.